0: Hello and welcome to the last episode of Bavarian Podcast Works for the 2018-2019 Bayern Munich season. I am joined today, as always, by my brother-in-arms, Chuck Smith. Chuck, how are you doing today?
1: Great. Jake, how's it going?
0: It's going pretty well. Uh, we record on a Monday, and tonight the uh, Stanley Cup final start, and my Boston Bruins are in that, so I'm... Uh, Promise that I will start nervously sweating only at 5 p.m. I figure giving myself two hours before puck drop would be pretty good. Chuck, what was your weekend like other than uh, watching Bayern Munich win yet another Pokal? I, I had a
1: good weekend. I uh, had a little Memorial Day picnic over at my uh, my in-laws where I probably drank way too many beers. And uh, you know it was it was a good time to see some some family I hadn't seen in a while, and uh, you know the kids got to run around and have a water balloon fight and all kinds of nonsense like that. As I sat down and drank a multitude of different beers and paid for that this morning with a nice headache. So overall, I would say it was a pretty good weekend.
0: Minus the hangover this morning. That sounds like a wonderful time. Uh, yeah. Uh. So Chuck, are you are you ready to go ahead and get started with the football?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Alright, so 3-0 to nil is the score that gave Bayern Munich yet another domestic double. It was the 19th Pokal that Bayern Munich had won. Uh, it was their first since 2016, and it was the 12th double in the history of the club. Beautiful goals scored by Robert Lewandowski and Kingsley Coman. Lewandowski's first goal being a wonderful header whipped in from David Alaba. The second goal was a bit of a fluke after it took a couple of touches off defenders and Bayern players alike in the box before falling to Kingsley Coman, where he faked a shot, took a dribble to calm himself down, and then blasted it. And then the third goal was even more of a fluke because Umpimekano should have definitely had his head more on a swivel and paid attention to what was going on because after the long ball from Joshua Kimmich, it found the feet of Robert Lewandowski who just ran past him and that made it 3-0. Chuck, what did you think of the match overall?
1: I mean, obviously it was a, it was a disappointing start for Bayern to the match. Uh, I thought they were really uneven in the beginning, almost played a little bit tentative, and RB Leipzig, I thought, came out very assertive in the game and looked to really take it to Byron. but I think once the talent of Bayern took over, it was it was really just a matter of time. Uh, Lewandowski, as you said, had two tremendous goals. You know, the the goal by Kingsley Coman, it was I, I feel funny using the word exquisite, but it really was how calm he was when he made that play, and then just the creativity he showed in doing it. Um, you know, I was super impressed by the way that they were able to really take over the game when it looked like they might struggle. So yeah, I, I you know, it, it was really to me a good way to cap off the season. And I think part of that and why I probably feel so good about it is the way that Manuel Neuer played. Um, that was the best performance I think we've seen from him all season. So, um, you know, it was a great way to close it. You had Nico Kovac get the double um, kind of silencing his doubters for a little bit. And, you know, I, like I said, Overall, you can't be disappointed with the way they played, Um, and you know with Arjen Robin and Frank Ribery coming back, being able to get that one last time on the pitch, it was uh, it made it all worthwhile. I'll say.
0: Manuel Neuer contributing to the team sheet with a absolutely wonderful clean sheet. That first save that he made, that first big save that he made on Yusuf Poulsen, that brought me back to 2014. That was such a good goal-scoring opportunity for Poulsen, and it was a wonderfully put-in header, and he just hit it off the top of his head with absolute authority and Manuel Neuer said not today and he put his hand up had it hit the bar and it was wonderfully cleared. I know that we've gone on about how Neuer is getting towards the older side and that Byron might need to start looking for replacements. It didn't really seem like they should start that anytime soon this weekend but uh I think I stand by my statement that they should probably find a backup goalkeeper to eventually replace him. Chuck, uh, do you think that do you think that Neuer bought himself a couple more years on that goalkeeper search, or do you think that Byron should still take advantage in this transfer window?
1: So I, I really think that Neuer, uh, aside of this game, I mean, it wasn't a great, great season for him. It wasn't a bad season by any means. But this was his opportunity to really show that he still had that skill within him, and he really did play an instinctual game. He was aggressive. He was assertive within the net. Uh, there was not a, There really wasn't any indecision, which really plagued him at times this year. And I think you're right, Jake, that you know it is time for Byron to kind of take a look at things, figure out what the timeline is on Neuer. I mean, obviously they've probably had these discussions internally. But is it time for you know a replacement? Probably not. I think that their goalkeeper setup is pretty stable with Ulreich as the primary backup and Christian Fruchtel as kind of the goalkeeper in waiting. But they do have to assess whether Fruchtel is that guy, whether he is the kind of keeper that can step in for Neuer under immense pressure when that time comes. Uh, we just don't know at this point if he is that type of goalkeeper. So I do think that they're going to have even further discussions this summer and figure out if if they can place their trust in Fructal for the future or if they need to loan him out to kind of give him a test run. But all of those discussions will certainly happen, and, and I do think that they're at least going to consider investing in a younger keeper this
0: summer. It wouldn't be an episode of this podcast without us talking about Timo Werner. I'm sorry, everybody, (laughs) that we were bringing Timo Werner up yet again in another episode of this podcast. But you may appreciate where at least I'm going with this because I think it is finally time for us to bring balance to the force from all of the pro Timo Werner mentions that we've had to when we look at this game, Timo Werner did start on the wing. And he did not contribute whatsoever. He did not really do that good of a job. Did not put many shots on net. It was rare that you ever heard his name mentioned on the broadcast. So I just thought that this was a really poor game from Timo Werner. And it kind of goes along with a idea that Werner doesn't really show up in big games, because if you consider the fact that he didn't contribute much in the games that he played against Bayern Munich this season, plus this final, plus the games that he played in Russia, which we can all go ahead and say that it was a fluke, but Werner did not contribute much at all in Russia, um, For me, I can say for me at least that one game would not define one player because you would look at Werner and you would realize that he scored a lot of goals this season and there still is a quality to having him there. But I think that it's clear that he can have some struggles when it comes to major games. Uh, Chuck, I know for me at least it decreased my... uh, my enthusiasm for it. Not saying that I don't want him to come to Bayern Munich, but there's just a little more of a hesitancy in buying uh, Werner to come to Munich. What was your impression of him for the game, and did it take away any enthusiasm that you have for seeing him wearing red?
1: Well, I think that everybody knows where I'm going to go on this one, Jake. Uh, I, I will, I will take the pro Werner stance and Figures. Uh I will say this though: it wasn't a great game for him, uh, but I do think there were a couple of factors that played into that. I, I did not like the formation that RB Leipzig rolled out there. It was more of a four-two-two-two two, two kind of setup. Uh, And I didn't like the way that they were able to transition the ball. And even though they did have good possession over the first few minutes of the game, and maybe even the first 15 to 20 minutes, I I never felt like Byron was in danger. I mean, part of that was the great job that that the back four did uh, with Alaba, Kimmich, uh, Niklas Sula, and Matt Hummels. I thought that they were really good. I thought that they limited a lot of what RB Leipzig wanted to do. Uh, But, you know, you're right. It wasn't a great it wasn't a great game for Werner, and I don't think that just the way that Leipzig was set up was really uh, a good way to take advantage of what both Werner and Poulsen could bring to the game. Um, there were just a lot of things within the contest itself that, that really, um, you know, when you look at Werner, it really, like, it really didn't show what he could do on the pitch. Uh, it didn't utilize his speed as much. The game plan didn't seem like they wanted to get Werner in opportunities where he could break free. I mean, we saw Emil Forsberg uh, have a great breakaway opportunity, which he did not convert. I think if you put Werner in that spot, if he's able to get that pass with his pace, he probably makes that goal happen. So, um, you know, it, like you said, Jake, if you're on the, the anti-Werner brigade then this was exactly the ammunition that you needed to say, you know what, this guy isn't Byron quality, but I wouldn't define him by just this one game. I'm still excited at the prospects of him uh, going to Byron. It's just a matter of whether Byron believes he can really fit in on the wing, which, you know, I'm one of the people that, that thinks he can.
0: I think that was one point where we mentioned before we disagreed in terms of fitting on the wing, but I, as you said, it, gave the anti verner crowd more ammunition. I still think he's a quality player because you look at over 20 goals scored in this season, you look at that and you can't really shove that aside and say that this one game defines all of that. Uh, I guess this one last thing that I'd like to talk about is um, is from the standpoint of the commentators at ESPN. Now I understand that um, they aren't Fox and they don't cover the Bundesliga every single day. But I think that it was really I think the people at ESPN do a very good job, a phenomenal job with their soccer coverage, but I felt like this game was really lacking from uh Casey Keller who I love as a commentator pronouncing the names Aryan Robin and David Alaba and going from that to their halftime segment that they had for those that aren't in our American audience uh they might not uh understand some of the people in here but they had a halftime segment where Alejandro Moreno and Paul Mariner uh, were talking about what Bayern Munich needs to change this summer, and it sounded to me like they had only watched three games from October because things that they mentioned were not exactly like evident. They were talking about how Kovac had had an awful season which isn't exactly true. He led Bayern Munich to two titles and not a bad record. I believe the record is uh, 24-6-4. and Sure, they didn't make it in the Champions League, but when you were coming up against a good competition like Liverpool, who's now playing in the final, I don't think that you can exactly blame him. But then they started talking about acquisitions that they would need to make, and they said the biggest problems for Bayern were the back four and the central midfield. And I thought that that was just a weird comment to make because the back four, yes, they've had some problems at previous points, but since 2019 came around, Mats Hummels and Nick Sula have really stapled that down. And Mariner and Moreno's comments were that Hummels was really old and slow, which if you saw Hummels run up the field with immaculate pace in this... Pokal fixture, I don't think that you would say that. And then a similar comment was made about the speed of Nicolas Sula. And then they said in the midfield that they didn't have one particular standout player. And the segment kind of ended with Moreno saying, you know, if you could flip James Rodriguez, maybe you could take that opportunity and get the one player that Bayern Munich really needs. Gareth Bale. So I think that was just kind of the nail in the coffin for me. I thought that was a really weird halftime segment, and it just kind of said to me that the ESPN people weren't really in touch with how Bayern Munich's season has developed over time. Uh, Chuck, did you catch that? And if so, uh, what did you think of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it did strike me that there seemed to be little to no research um, about Bayern. Uh, clearly, they had not seen a ton of games, which is to be expected. I, I mean, ESPN doesn't cover the Bundesliga, so you know I, I expected things not to be completely smooth throughout the broadcast or or at the halftime show. So, uh, but yeah, some of the statements that were made were very questionable. I don't I don't think that anyone who has seen Hummels and Sula play over the past five months could say that they have struggled by any means. Uh, you know, you could even look at the first leg of Liverpool. I mean, how many teams really have frustrated Liverpool like that? It, it, to me, it just it, they just were a little bit unprepared., uh, the, the Gareth Bale point was interesting because I had kind of made the point a few weeks ago on the podcast that if he was available for a reasonable price, I would certainly look into it. But I, I don't think that, you know, the whole scenario of flipping James for Gareth Bale, that's just absurd at this point. Byron, uh, even today talked about. Uh, not wanting to engage in human trafficking of flipping players. So I don't think that we're really going to have to worry about that. And it doesn't seem like they would want to invest in a player like Bale, despite his talent, uh, the salary and injury history he has. Uh, it's probably not a fit with Byron. So, yeah, it was very disappointing from a broadcast perspective. That's, that's definitely one of the games where I missed having Fox.
0: Yeah, I kind of missed having Fox there, too, because at least the commentators have been watching Bayern for the entire year, which, again, is is kind, it's kind of a criticism, but not really a criticism of ESPN, right? Like, you're not going to be as knowledgeable about a team if you haven't been watching them an entire year, and we can kind of sit on a pedestal over here of being like, oh, we wouldn't mess up a Bayern game, but, of course, we're a Bayern blog, and we wouldn't expect... Um, Barca Blaugranas to know as much about us if they were covering one of our games or any other uh, phenomenal blog at SB Nation. Uh, Subtle plug for all of them. Uh, They wouldn't know exactly every single storyline and how everybody's been doing, and that's because we're a fan blog. That's what we do. We generally know about those things. So a 3-0 win, for Bayern Munich in the Deutscher Pokal final just one goal short of Chuck's infamous 3-1 prediction because this is our last episode this is going to have a little bit of a different setup so after this we're still going to have a before we go but it'll be a different before we go you'll realize that but our next segment is going to be a recap of Bayern Munich's season through the league and we will get to that after this break. Welcome back. So with the end of Bayern Munich's 2018-2019 season, I thought it was best to go ahead and look over the good and the bad in every game that Bayern Munich had played this season, or at least most of the games. So starting off Bayern's season was a 5-0 win over Eintracht Frankfurt in the DFL Super Cup. It was a great way for the season to start, and that was followed up by a very very weird and very scary 1-0 win in the first round of the Pokal uh, over drogtersen Ossel And they started their Bundesliga season off with a 3-1 win over Hoffenheim. And that was part of five straight wins that Bayern Munich rattled off in the month of September just before everything started falling apart. And then everything started falling apart. The wheels really came off the bus, uh, starting with a 1-1 draw against Augsburg with a uh, Felix Goetze goal that still haunts Bayern Munich fans to this day. And then a 2-0 loss to Hertha. A draw in the Champions League against an Ajax team that at that time we all thought was just a standard run-of-the-mill Ajax team before we realized the dominant force that they were. And then a loss to Borussia Mönchengladbach really just capitalized on this uh, era of... Kovac's career this is when the heads really started to roll it's when the criticisms of the defense started to really come out it's when the Kovac out crowd really started to pick up steam it was just a really sad time to be a fan of Bayern Munich
1: yeah that was uh, a really unfortunate part of the season and I think that's one of the things you can really look at uh, as the season went on. It was just how Byron suffered through that period and then was ultimately able to rebound. But I think one of the big factors within that was Kovac just really couldn't settle on a rotation at that point. And he had re- he had tried to integrate a lot of different players. And you could just tell at that time there was no cohesion on the field. Players definitely were not on the same page. And I think that was a big reason for why Bayern struggled at that point.
0: As we've mentioned a couple times before, at least as you've mentioned a couple times before on this podcast, it was clear that Kovac was struggling with the egos of the team at this point and as he was trying to settle down on that lineup, uh he wasn't really able to understand uh the role that all those egos had to play in the club and that also, you know, he's the manager and he gets the right to go ahead and make the decisions that he needs in order for Bayern Munich to go ahead and win. Which they promptly did. After that loss to Borussia Munch and Gladback, they won out the rest of October, in the terrible October that we think Bayern had. They won more games that they than they drew and lost Um, Their next loss actually did not come until the first Der Klassiker matchup, one that was very, very good as a game overall, but it was inevitably a loss to Borussia Dortmund, a 3-2 loss, and at this point it kind of became clear that there were some problems with the defense, and that became clear not only just to the Bayern board, but the Bayern Munich fans, and that kind of seemed like the real incentive for Nico kovac to really go ahead and start playing around with different lineups with this team
1: yeah that was really a catalyst for change i think for the entire season and when you look at that effort you can really see how everything that Bayern, is byron's management Bayern's coaching staff what they took out of that game really helped develop what we saw in the field in the second half of the season without that loss to Dortmund. I I'm not sure we would have gotten the type of effort that we saw in the final five months of the season.
0: And after that loss to Dortmund and Byron began to really pick up speed, they did not lose for the rest of 2018, including my favorite game of the season, despite it wasn't all of the points that we wanted that three, three draw, with Ajax in Amsterdam it was such a tremendous fixture it was intense it had dutch fans upset that a german team beat them and that that was my that was my favorite game for me this season but including in that win streak was a one nothing win over Leipzig and that really just got the ball rolling into 2019 and it was a great way to build on that momentum for the uh for the Rook Runda
1: yeah Jake I think you're right there were a lot of exciting points that Ajax game uh and you know you could really take away some of the good things that Bayern did in that game and really see how they translated to the field the second half of the season
0: So their 2019 uh, started how their 2018 ended. They don't actually drop points on a Bundesliga team until the uh, February 2nd loss against Bayer Leverkusen. And then after that, they rattle off three consecutive wins until their big matchup in the round of 16 of the Champions League with liverpool at anfield and that was a nil nil draw uh chuck what were your initial impressions from that nil nil draw
1: i was um part of me was impressed that byron was able to contain the liverpool offensive attack like they were but i do understand the criticism that i think a lot of fans and the byron front office had was that byron just played too conservative and Bayern is too big of a club to go in and, and almost play scared. And I, I don't think that they played scared, but that's really how it could have come across from an outside perspective. Um, they rarely took chances. They didn't create much offense at all. And I think a lot of that really had to do with the absence of Thomas Mueller from the lineup, um, the way that he interacts with Robert Lewandowski. You could see that Lewandowski could not – get anything going offensively. And he, he did miss Mueller in that game, but overall from a tactic standpoint, I get the, the criticism that was levied upon Kovac after that. He was too conservative. And while it did earn the draw, it set them up for almost what ended up being a no win situation at home. And they just still couldn't generate offense while also suffering some defensive lapses that ultimately, uh, you know, put Byron out of the champions league.
0: And by, Bayern Munich fans may have had reason to believe that Bayern could come back in that uh, second leg after the draw at Anfield. Bayern beat Hertha Berlin, Munchen Gladbach, and Wolfsburg by wide margins. With the exception of that Hertha game, it was a 1-0 win. Bayern beat Mönchengladbach to 5-1 and Wolfsburg 6-0 before playing Liverpool at home. Uh, it was important to note, as you did, that they were missing Thomas Muller for both legs, and they were missing Joshua Kimmich especially for this leg. Kimmich was one of the better players in that game against Liverpool, and missing him really did show the impact he has on the field with him gone Liverpool was able to probe that wing and uh, force Bayern Munich to make some errors and eventually they did lose and get knocked out of the Champions League uh, by a score of three to one
1: yeah I I think when you when you look at that and there was a lot of frustration from fans at that stage of the season I mean obviously everyone expects Bayern to go a lot deeper in the Champions League but to take two players off the field, like like Mueller and Kimmich, I, I, I can't understand how Byron could have been expected at that time to pull off what, in my opinion, would have been considered a monumental upset. Uh, Liverpool at that point was just playing phenomenally. They Offensively, they were just excellent. And defensively, I think they were much more strong than anyone had given them credit for. So it was it was the worst possible matchup for Bayern at that stage of the Champions League. But I think that the results were justified and that this year it just wasn't Bayern's year and they weren't ready to beat a team like Liverpool at that stage.
0: For everyone out there that still is on the Kovach out train, it's understandable perfectly. But here's one point that I think should be noted. Uh Bayern Munich's last loss of their entire season was this game to Liverpool. On March 13th, Middle of, from the middle of March to the end of the season, he did not lose a single game in charge. Granted, there were three draws after this. A game against Freiburg, a game against Nuremberg, and that game against RB Leipzig. But... They rattled off the wins, including two wins back to back, a 5-4 thriller, a heart-stopping game against Heidenheim in the quarterfinals of the Pokal, and then a 5-0 thrashing of Borussia Dortmund Interklassiker this year that, from my point of view, was the high point and the highlight of the entire season.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. It really was. I mean, that stretch of games there was a lot of fun to watch for a number of reasons. But you're right, Jake. The the Dortmund game, the second game, was was really Bayern at its peak for this season. And it really was an indication of how much the team had grown under Kovac and how much Kovac himself had grown as the coach of this unit. Uh, He really made some developments and changes throughout the year. And at that point, that's where you wanted to see things click. And that's ultimately what happened. It took some time. There were a lot of struggles and failures
0: along the way, but ultimately they got to the point where they needed to be. And after that win against Dortmund, we had wins against Fortuna Dusseldorf, two against Werder Bremen, which saw Bayern Munich go through to the Pokal finals. And then they kind of sputtered a little bit with the draw against Nuremberg and then a win against Hanover and with the opportunity to clinch the league they drew nil nil to leipzig but that was immediately rectified the following week at home against niko kovac's former team eintracht frankfurt with a 5-1 dominant performance which saw the final two goals for frank ribbery and Arjen robin in bavaria And then a 3-0 win against Leipzig this past Saturday saw Bayern Munich get the double. So that is the entire schedule and all of the fixtures recapped. Only six draws and four losses for Bayern Munich. Now... I completely understand why people are on the Kovac out train. We are Bayern Munich. We are a strong club. We are one of the best clubs historically in all of Germany. That's understandable. But looking at this record, I see no reason why Kovac should be fired. Because he is a first-time coach. Because this is his first time at a club of this standard. And because he did not have any benchmarks beforehand. The benchmark set for him by the club beforehand was set by an absolute legend at the club in Jupp So now that he has this season, now that he has a double under his belt, I think that this is a perfect opportunity for this to be the jumping off point for Niko Kovac. I think he should stay and he should definitely have that time in order to take this opportunity and make this club his own. I think that it was kind of made clear after the Pokal win in statements made by KHR and Yuli Honus uh, that they weren't going to fire him. So, uh, Chuck, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, I agree 100%. I think that Kovac earned another year. I think that, you know, we touched on the struggles he had dealing with the rotation, dealing with the egos of the stars in the locker room. But I think also think, you know, we should look at something. You know, what if Bayern, instead of drawing Liverpool, draws Porto or they draw Roma or they draw another team, Lyon, a club that they could have beaten and advanced? Would we feel differently about the overall course of the season? I think so. Uh, I think that Liverpool was the worst possible draw for Bayern uh in the Champions League and as soon as it happened ultimately I think we all kind of knew this was going to be an uphill battle when you factor in they were missing Thomas Mueller that they were for both legs of that uh when they were missing uh Joshua Kimmich for the second like it was really it was an uphill battle that I don't think Bayern really had a chance in and I think that you know had things worked out differently there this really would have been considered a much better campaign Jake, you hit on it perfectly when you said you you get it. You understand why people are hashtag Kovac out. I, I, I am not one of those people. We've said this repeatedly on the podcast. I think he deserves at least another year. He had this year to kind of feel his way through the roster, feel his way through what the Champions League was like. And I think he did a very admirable job of controlling things it was rough in the beginning. And, you know, I think everyone had a good reason to lack some confidence, but I think heading into next year with a year under his belt with better talent and probably a better idea of how to manage that talent. I think there are some good things on the horizon.
0: So the final thing that I would like to do uh, for this part is go over uh, three tiers of players uh between the two of us the most valuable player the least valuable player and then the most improved players so uh starting off with most valuable chuck why don't you go ahead and tell me who you think was the most valuable to Bayern Munich's season
1: i mean there were a lot of of players that contributed uh when i think of value though i'm not necessarily thinking of who the most outstanding player was uh if, if it was just a matter of saying who the best player for Byron was, I, I would say Robert Lewandowski, hands down. I think he had an excellent campaign. But when I think about value, I think about what a player brings, not just on the field, but to the locker room, what roles they fill on the field, their versatility. And when I looked at that, I really would have to take a look at two people in particular, uh, Thomas Mueller and Tiago Alcantara. Those were the two that really stood out in terms of value Uh, And I think that when push comes to shove, I would say Mueller mostly because we saw what his presence was when they were missing him against Liverpool. And a full season of Mueller playing with Lewandowski in key games, I think, is exactly what this team needs. And I think that will will help Niko Kovac next year. So my, my choice would be Thomas Mueller in terms of most valuable player.
0: See, you went with one of the suspended parties in that Champions League, and I'm going to go ahead and say the other. I'm going to go with Joshua Kimmich as my most valuable player this season because while... It's important to go ahead and look at score lines. Score lines are incredibly uh, valuable to determining how important a player is to a club, but Joshua Kimmich's value to the club defies statistical categories like goals, assists, shots, etc., much like his predecessor, Philipp Lahm, did. Uh, Kimmich is versatile, being able to play both in the midfield and at right back Um, he contributes a lot to Bayern's attacking through um, through crosses through corner kicks through you name it uh, and really just being one of those anchors at the back four I think that you really missed that the team really missed him in that second leg against Liverpool. And as much as you're right in your previous statement about whether or not we could have drawn Porto or Lyon or Roma or someone like that, I think that if Joshua Kimmich was in that game against Liverpool, I think it's possible that that scoreline may have been a little different. Maybe not entirely different, but just maybe a little bit, maybe wipe one of those goals off of the board, because I think that's the value that Kimmich has. I think Kimmich is a player that Bayern should never sell, even though that there have been a couple of rumors saying that like Barcelona and Real Madrid have been poking at him. But I think, I think Joshua Kimmich really is that second coming of Philip Lahm and that he will that. I th- I think it's clear. I think at least to me he's my most valuable player.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't even argue with that, Jake. I think you're you're right on a lot of points. I think Kimmich brings so much to the table both offensively and defensively. He's got great versatility. He's a leader on the field, but you know, you're right. They did miss him against Liverpool. One of the things that probably held me back from Kimmich was just the the I don't want to say inconsistency, but the Over-aggressive play in the first half of the season, which I think really stemmed from a lack of discipline and almost taking advantage of Niko Kovač, because the beginning of the season there were very many games where both Kimmich and Alba just pushed so far forward, they left the center backs hanging out to dry. And when you know before the point where Kovač really installed that double pivot to provide some stability. It seemed like it was off to the races on any counterattack. But overall, you're right, Kimmich, had a he had a phenomenal season. He's got so much talent. And I think that's one of the really exciting things we can look forward to next season.
0: And then speaking of center backs, that's where I would start off with my least valuable player. And it really pains me to say this because he's been one of my one of my favorite players at Bayern Munich, but I think it's clear that he's lost A step or five Uh, Jerome Boateng was probably my least valuable player to Bayern Munich this season and it really just comes down to this that Boateng plays a good and a physical game but physicality is not what Bayern Munich needs in this era of football in this era of football everyone is quick Everyone can run up and down the field, whether you're Lionel Messi or Mats Hummels. You need to run up and down, and you need to go as quickly as possible. And I don't think that Boateng possesses that speed anymore, if he ever possessed that speed to begin with. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, I like Boateng. I really hope that he goes to a good club at uh, when he hopefully leaves Bayern Munich this summer but it's clear from the fact that Bayern previously agreed to deals with not one but two new defenders who can play center back before the season ended I think that's a testament to the fact that Bayern doesn't really need Boateng anymore and that he should probably go to new pastures in this off season.
1: yeah uh, you're you're right Jake uh, Boateng Uh, He had some some struggles this season. I still think he can play at a high level. For whatever reason, it did not click for him this season under Niko Kovac, whether it was opportunity that was the problem, whether it was his own inconsistency. uh, I think it would be, you know, it's tough to really look at him and say he had the type of season that he would have wanted to. Uh, But for my choice... Uh, people probably won't be shocked at this, but I would I would say Renato Sanchez. And, and the reason I would say that is I think he does possess a tremendous amount of talent. I think he's got a, a very good style of play in terms of how physical he is. I still think he makes some terrible decisions on the field. I think he plays with his head down a lot. He tries to go on his own more than most players at Bayern would ever do. I just think he is a player that is wasting his talent in his current position on the team. So I, I overall, I kind of hope that he moves on, not because I don't think he has any true value as a player or that he doesn't have potential, but it's just not going to happen at Bayern. So it's time for him to move on. Uh, it was not a great season for him. He, he was very unhappy. Uh, he made that known at some of the worst possible times. So I just think from a maturity standpoint... And from a talent standpoint, you know, for him to really reach his potential, he's going to have to go somewhere with a fresh start. And I hope that Byron can accommodate him because I think keeping him trapped on the bench for another year is is probably the worst thing that the team could do for his his career.
0: If he stuck around, my first answer probably would have been Sandro Wagner. But he obviously left the club at a great time. Um, So. Going on to the most improved player, um, to me, it would be Thomas Muller, but not exactly for the reason that you think. That's not to say that Thomas Muller was never a good player to begin with, Um But consider where Thomas Muller has come from, right? A couple years ago in the 15-16 season, he had one of his worst seasons in red. He was just very slow. He didn't contribute a lot of goals. And it was also kind of clear that Carlo Ancelotti didn't really know how to use Thomas Muller. And it was clear in his reactions back then, in his face, in his style of play, that... It was kind of affecting his confidence. And as a result, he wasn't the player that he could have been. And I think over the next couple of years leading up to this season, he was really struggling with that. I don't really think that he knew what his role at Bayern Munich was and whether or not people wanted him to be there. And I know that's a crazy thing to say, right, but as a player, I imagine that if you um, if you underperform and the manager doesn't know how to utilize you to the best you could have all of your best friends on your team but if your manager doesn't know how to use you the best you might want to go somewhere else but that isn't the case anymore I believe so Thomas Muller is my most improved player because I really think he found his role he really carved out his niche this year in Bavaria, and under Nico Kovac, and Muller really just clearly showed that he belongs as that false nine, a bit of a more forward kind of central attacking midfielder, because when he's been able to patrol that right wing and really probe the box, he's been able to show his old form glistening again. And Thomas Muller is my favorite player, and I'm really, really glad that he was able to find that. And I don't think there was ever like a question of whether or not he fit in at Bayern Munich, but now that he's really carved out his niche and found his stamp that he can put on this club I think it's a great thing and I'm very glad that he was able to find that and improve upon his role this season
1: yeah that's it that's an interesting take on that Jake I think you're right in a lot of ways that Thomas Mueller did he, he absolutely improved his game this season he looked way more confident on the pitch and was way more effective in my opinion I think that the partnership he has with Robert Lewandowski is, is extremely just crucial to the Byron offense, which is, seems like an obvious statement, but the role he plays in, in feeding Lewandowski the ball and creating space for him, it, it can't always be measured in stats. Um, similarly, what I looked at when I had to make my selection was a player that he didn't suit up for Byron last season, uh, but I did pay close attention to him during his lone stint at Hoffenheim, and that's Serge Gnabry. Uh, last season, I, I wasn't really sure what Byron was going to get. I knew that Gnabry was talented. I knew that he had a great nose and was a, for for goal and was aggressive and getting to the net. What I wasn't sure uh, was how he would adjust to playing almost full time as a wing and not being as central as maybe he had been in the past. And I think he handled it with aplomb. He was awesome at times. He was a driving force that really carried the Byron offense when they needed someone to step up and create offense for them did he struggle with certain aspects yeah he hasn't really perfected the art of crossing yet his decision making at times it was frustrating and and really I think uh had an adverse effect (laughs) with his relationship with Robert Lewandowski at times uh but he got better each week, and I think that he really has shown that he can step in at that wing position and be a long-term fixture there. I think that he's got great talent, uh, and the more comfort that he develops out on the wing, and the the more he's able to practice and get better at crossing the ball and making quicker and I guess smarter decisions when he's got opportunities to set his teammates up. I think that. He's capable of doing it. I think he will do it. And I think it's all there. He just needs the experience of playing out on the wing more. So yeah, Serge Gnabry would be the, the player I would say uh, was my most improved player for the season.
0: So that is going to be the end of that segment. If you want to go ahead and read more recap pieces, be sure to stay tuned at Bavarian We will be pushing those out soon. And we are going to go ahead and move on to our final segment right after this break. We'll be right back after this message. And we're back, and we have one more thing to cover before we go, but it won't be our traditional discussion. This is the eighth episode of this podcast, and in a matter of weeks, we did something that we could only hope to do for the past few years at this blog. Not only have we been able to consistently put out podcast episodes every week since we've started, but since we started the project in the second week of April, we've gotten over 3,500 downloads and many more listens thanks to you, the fans and supporters of this project.
1: But the season's ending, and you know that means that this is our last episode of this particular show for a while. However, the podcasting won't stop. Over the summer, we plan on putting out more podcasts recapping the last bundesliga season covering every transfer in and out of the club and previewing upcoming seasons for every bundesliga team byron will face there's also going to be a chance for more writers from bfw to lend their voices starting with these projects this summer not only that we plan on developing more shows than just this one with new formats including but not limited to a shorter audio version of the daily schmankerl I still can't say that word, which is great since I have to write it every day. A debate show, <laughs> and maybe even a show where we just talk about anything but football. So, uh, you know, there's way more there's way more opportunities for the audience to get involved and help. If you go to our website BavarianFootballWorks dot com, you'll find our blog post for this podcast. We ask that you fill out a survey. Uh, asking what you liked about this show and, and what you might want to see in the future.
0: And there's one more major change and a bit of a more of an incentive for the listener to go ahead and fill that podcast out. We've decided to rebrand the entire podcasting division. If you look up the podcast on any of the providers, your Apple, Spotify, Google, you'll find at the top that it'll say the phrase Bavarian Football Works for Bayern Munich fans, and then it will list off individual Bavarian Podcast Works episodes. Chuck and I have been talking, and we've agreed that the name Bavarian Podcast Works would fit a lot better as that channel name, as the brand for all of the podcasts as a whole, rather than just the title of this one show, this one we're doing right now, which is especially true as we decide to branch out into different show formats that we will debut with the start of the 2019-2020 season. So we need your help coming up with a new name for this show. We'd love to hear all of your suggestions by filling out the question asking for one on the survey. And I really can't stress the importance of that survey enough. We've had over 500 people listen to this last episode of the podcast, so we hope that most of them will fill this survey out and help us improve this show for the future. We at the site look forward to reading your responses and your ideas, and we hope that you stay tuned throughout the summer. We won't be having an exact set schedule for all of our releases so we ask that you stay in touch and stay subscribed and be sure to keep checking all of your podcast providers intermittently for when we put out our content so that is going to be the end of the 2018-2019 podcasting season here at Bavarian Football Works Now. Bavarian podcast works. Uh, If you want to keep in touch with us over the summer, ask a couple questions, maybe fill out that survey. If the link expires, then you can go ahead and find us at Bavarian FB works on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. Chuck, where can they find you? You
1: can find me at the barrel blog on Twitter and feel free to drop me comments uh, every day in the daily schmackerel column. You love that Jake, don't you? That pronunciation, that
0: pronunciation Um, is great.
1: (laughs) It is. Uh, So, you know, drop us some comments. Uh, You can really get me any day. So I love uh, one of the things I love most about the BFW community is interacting uh, with the different people in it. And uh, you know, please, we love to hear from you guys.
0: So with that being said, be sure to also read our content this summer at BavarianFootballWorks.com. We have a lot of great things planned and we hope that everybody enjoys them. But for now, that will be the end of this show. Um, and it will be the end of calling this show Bavarian Podcast Works. So from all of us at the website. We are looking forward to the future of this podcast. Again, we ask that you fell out that survey. And until a new season starts again, auf Wiedersehen.